Let's pray. God bless the sky that is above us, the earth that is beneath us, your image deep within us, and the late day that lies before us. Amen. We are in the season of Pentecost. In this church, we want to allow that fact still to be brought to our attention, that we are called to be spiritual people. Immediately I say that, you probably, a good number of you will be going, yes, but I don't feel spiritual. What does it mean to feel spiritual? What are you saying, Peter? The spiritual dimension of life. We are no angels. I recognize that. But we believe that there is another dimension to life. And we as Christians call it spiritual. We believe that in the light of the resurrection we are not alone in this life, but that God is with us by His Spirit. We believe that life is not just, with all our busyness, life is not just one damn thing after another, but that God has purposes and plans for each one of us. And that life is more than we can presently see. Paul says in his letter to Corinthians, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is unseen is eternal. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look very quickly and simply at the lives of three individuals whose lives were touched very powerfully by an encounter with the risen Jesus, with the Spirit of God. I want to introduce you to somebody who speaks of how the soul relates to the body in an astonishingly fresh fashion, even though she comes from the 11th century. She speaks about human spirituality, about the unity of creation and the goodness of the natural world. Hildegard of Bingen was born in 1098 near Aze, the province of Rheinhessen, into a noble family. 1098 was a time of the Crusades, a time when the German kings were in dispute with the, with the church, and at a time when women were not seen as in the same rank as men. At the age of eight, she was taken to the local Benedictine monastery, where her parents gave her their tenth child, to the, convent, to the convent as their tithe to the church. And there she grew up in the company of a young noblewoman, Jutta of Spanheim, in very Spartan conditions, in a life ordered by prayer and chanting and simple craft handwork. But she encountered God. From an early age she encountered God. And she herself describes the experience. In the year 1141 of the incarnation of Jesus Christ our Lord, a fiery light flashing intensely came from the open vault of heaven and poured through my whole brain like a flame that is hot without burning. It kindled all my heart and all my breast just as the sun warms anything on which the rays fall. And suddenly... I could understand what such books as the Psalter, the Gospel, and others actually set forth. Ever since I was a girl, certainly from the time I was five years old, right up into the present, 
In a wonderful way, I have felt in myself the strength and mystery of these secret and marvelous visions. Yet I revealed this to no one except a few people. The visions which I saw did not perceive in dreams, nor when asleep, nor in a delirium, not with the ears or eyes of the body. I received them when I was awake and looking around with a clear mind, with inner ears and eyes. But how this could be difficult for us mortals to seek to know. Hildegard realized that she'd been having visions since the age of five, but had dismissed them as insignificant. Even with this powerful sense of call, she tried to ignore it and did not feel worthy. This could not be God speaking to her. Although I heard and saw these things because of doubt and low opinion of myself, and because of diverse sayings of men, I refuted them for a long time, a call to write, not out of stubbornness, but out of humility, until weighed down by a scourge of God, I fell onto a bed of sickness. Her health improved when she decided to follow God's call, and she started writing not only prose, theology, but also music and painting. And she became famous in her time, but probably is even better known today than she was then. Listen to some of her thoughts, the expansiveness of her spirituality, her appreciation of life and the nature and glory of God. The likeness of the soul to a tree. The soul is in the body as the sap is in the tree. If one of these images grab you, just let, just go with it and just enjoy that image. Just enjoy that that might be for you. And the powers of the soul are like the figure of the tree. How is this so? Understanding in the soul is like the green vigor of the branches and the leaves of the tree. Will is like the flowers in the tree. Mind like the first fruit bursting forth. But reason is like the fruit in the fullness of maturity. While sense is like the height and spread of the tree. And in the same way the human body is strengthened and supported by the soul. Or her thoughts on the wheel of life. The firmament has a revolving orbit in imitation of the power of God, which is neither beginning or end. Just as no one can see where the encircling wheel begins or ends. For the throne of God is his eternity, in which he alone sits, and all the living sparks are rays of his splendor. Just as the rays of the sun proceed from the sun itself. And how could God be known to be life except through the living things which glorify him? Since the things that praise his glory have proceeded from him. For this reason he placed the living and burning sparks to brighten his face. Maybe this is the wheel of life that she speaks of. Because she painted as well as wrote. She expressed herself in prose in music, she engaged her imagination, she opened herself and her mind and her heart to God's spirit alive in her world. Such a radical and expressive spirit. Interestingly for her, and the music group will find it, she loved music and every day she had the discipline of listening to music. That was essential for her own spirituality, for her own well-being, about looking after her soul. She saw that as fundamental. For her theology of the human soul, the human soul is symphonic, resonates with music. 
Music is part of the profound nature of the spirit by which a human being can recall heavenly harmony. She became a self-taught, accomplished musician for whom she wanted to participate in something of the glory and the mystery and the wonder of God and God's love. But she suffered illness all through her life. Some researchers reckon that she was describing the storm, the onset of migraine headaches. And it's quite interesting, quite a lot of the people, her descriptions are so symptomatic of what happens for people who do suffer migraine. And it's typical in the tradition of Christian mysticism. It's not unsurprising, rather, for people to be blighted by serious physical or mental conditions that they have to battle with all of their lives. And certainly with Hildegard, her illness was a prelude to most of the major decisions she made in her life. And yet through her illness, ultimately she expressed something of the mystery and the love and the glory of God. In and through even that. I present to you somebody that's remarkable, inspirational, and yet human. Let me just tell you about her humanity and how stubborn she was. She could get grumpy. She said this is a declaration from God, and if no one listened to her, she'd stomp off to her room and not speak to anybody until they knocked on her door and were very polite to her, and she came back out again. Occasionally, some of her friends said, when she made these great pronouncements, just occasionally they wondered if that matched with, with what she wanted. That was actually her opinion, or was this of God? Hildegard of Bingen. I meant we had the reading from Paul. I hope that you can see now why, in the light of that experience, that hearing a voice, that life calling, that sense of God speaking Paul's name, speaking Hildegard's name, and calling us into something that we give over in our life, even in weakness and in strength, in the use of God, and opening ourselves, our hearts, our minds. We often talk about our hearts, but this morning, with Hildegard, I want to use the word imagination. A risky word, I know. But I think in our minds, if we are to be a people of faith and spirituality, something we're concerned about, we need to open our minds to God's possibilities. Possibilities for futures. Possibilities in relationships. Opening our minds in the way that Hildegard did. In the way that Paul does. Because he writes in Ephesians this well-known passage which invites, for the sake of God's glory, us to engage our imagination, our God-given imagination. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the power, or the faith, or the imagination, together with all the saints, to grasp or be grasped by how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Well beyond me to explain to you what Paul's saying there. Well beyond me. And it's something of the glory of God engaging in our imagination, giving us a vision of God's greatness that we are invited to participate in, in every age, in every condition, whatever our sexuality We are spiritual people. How are we open to God? Are we open to saying to God, use me, speak through my mind, speak in my dreams, speak in my encounters. Vincent was talking about speaking through other people. Lord, keep me radically open to your Holy Spirit in that way. 
I was at the Vine School this week and we had Bishop Stephen come and officially open our creation courtyard that the Vine School has. If you've got a chance, get in there, because I'd love to hear what you think of the creation courtyard, which is in the middle of the school, and different points of the courtyard have the six days, seven days of creation, and they have little objects and words that are in each station that for you to go around and to look at. It's lovely. Go and have a look if you can. One of the places, there's some water there. Um, and it's fascinating speaking to the year threes that are showing us around and to hear the way they were expressing to us what each station was about on the first day and the second day. When they got to the water, one of the boys said, well, it's obvious, isn't it? You look at water, and I, what, what's he going to say? You look at water and you see yourself. You see yourself as you really are. Whoa, you know, I, I was thinking of baptism, refreshing water. No, no, he was saying, I look in the water and I see myself as I truly am. We all have spiritual insights. We are spiritual people. Our world will militate against that and make us think we're materialists, sensationalists, hungry people only for food. But if we care about our souls and our relationship with God, we need to keep our minds as open to God's wonderful working as that year three did in the way that he looked at things. To have a vision of all that God's going to do and all that God is doing in our world. Ezekiel, as you well know, says, without a vision, the people will perish. We will lose our soul, our humanity is diminished if we don't look about, care for our spiritual well-being. You might say again this morning, I'm not an arty person. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a musician. I'm not a year three child. I don't live in the 12th century. But God is here with us. We believe that God loves every one of us and has plans and purposes for each and every one and everything that he has made and invites us to participate in his glory. That's the wonder of Pentecost. For us to participate in God's glory. God bless the sky above us, the earth that is beneath us, your image deep within us, and the day that lies before us. Amen.